Welcome to The Indicator. It is a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the award-winning journalists at the Colorado Independent. And we're taking a look at the very important governor's race, but also some of the other ballot issues that Colorado voters are deciding on. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU, and our guest today is Corey Hutchins of the Colorado Independent. Hey, Corey, thanks for being with us again. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, today we're going to take a look at Proposition 110. It's one of two competing transportation issues, and there's a piece coming out at coloradoindependent.com. And as we'll get into a little bit later, some of these other ballot measures could significantly impact the gubernatorial race. And we'll also take a look at how the two main gubernatorial candidates are weighing in on some of the transportation issues. But Corey, just remind our listeners exactly what 110 is all about. Sure. So as voters uh, fill out their their ballots this week, and they've got still got a few more days to do so, although at least a, about a million of, of them have already voted, um, they will be facing two transportation measures on the ballot. One's called Prop 109, and one is called Prop 110. Uh, both of them seek to fund transportation in Colorado. However, two very drastically different ways. And I think it's uh, just that these measures are on the ballot is kind of a a story in itself about the the political character of Colorado. Um, A good way to kind of think of these, uh, a shorthand way to think of these ballot measures is 109, uh, no tax. 109, no tax. 110, tax. that's a kind of simple way to think about it. Uh, Proposition 109 is, is put forward by a libertarian-leaning think tank called the, uh, the Independence Institute. So you've got this kind of, you know, this libertarian uh, aspect of, of Colorado on the ballot. And then you've got Prop 110, um, which would raise the sales tax from 2.9% to 3.52% to uh, bring in a, a whole bunch of millions of dollars, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars um, into the state's coffers to pay for transportation. And that one's put forward by the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce and some other kind of business groups and um, kind of the, so you've got like this kind of competing uh, libertarian bent versus the kind of pro-business, maybe left of center, pragmatic, bipartisan approach. And uh, both uh, campaigns, um, and I'm not sure if I can say this on the radio and you can bleep it out, I guess, but Proposition 109's tagline is fix our damn roads. Uh, And then Proposition 110's tagline is let's go Colorado. And they are uh, in competition for the hearts and minds of voters this year about how we'll pay for transportation, whether we want to raise taxes or whether we want to just borrow money. Well, let's talk about why they're actually on the ballot in the first place, because I know transportation is a big issue and was a big issue at the state legislature. Why do voters have to make these decisions when state legislators had also been trying to grapple with these issues and how to fund all the major transportation projects? I mean, what happened at the state legislature to lead us to this position where it's now up to voters to figure out how to fund this? Yeah, and this is a, another another great point to bring up about the kind of political character of Colorado. We have this, uh, we're a state where lawmakers can't just uh, raise taxes on their own. We have something called the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights, known as TABOR. Uh, it was a constitutional amendment passed in 1992 that does a whole bunch of things, but it's, it's most well known for uh, limiting kind of 
putting a fiscal straitjacket uh, on the state and, and on the state's political leaders anyway, to where if they want to raise taxes in Colorado, they have to go to voters and get approval from voters at the ballot box. So during the legislative session, um, there's always talk about how, I mean, Colorado has a nine billion, an estimated $9 billion backlog at the Colorado Department of Transportation for funding road projects. Um, anybody who has driven on I-25 or I-70 uh, knows that it can often end up just being a, a parking lot. Um, so voters know that this this is an issue that needs to be fixed. And, and um, looking to the legislature uh, last year, from what I understand, the there was a, a kind of Republican-led plan that looked kind of similar to, to Prop 109, you know, the borrow money, uh, use bonds, um, don't raise taxes. And I think the Democrats uh, likely wanted to see what the voters would do this year, see if there was an appetite out there um, among the electorate uh, during this midterm election season to raise taxes. And so nothing happened at the legislature. And now we have these uh, these ballot measures that the well, voters will decide on on Tuesday. Well, you mentioned I-70 and I-25, and anybody who's driven on those highways knows that uh, there really is a big need for uh, projects and, and improvement projects. But what are some of the other big transportation issues facing the state that could be funded if voters approve Prop 110? Yeah, so this is really interesting, and this is what Tina Griego, uh, my editor at the Colorado Independent, and I have looked at uh, for this piece that we have coming out either today or tomorrow on our website. Um, Tina had done some previous reporting earlier this year about what rural transit looked like in Colorado, which was a really fascinating uh, examination. I think a lot of people, when they when they think of, of transit, especially people in the, um, the metro Denver front range area, think of, you know, the Bustang or the RTD. Um, and even maybe uh, the Hyperloop, you know, we've, we've heard this kind of uh, sci-fi fantasy that Colorado could, could be one of the states that has one of those, um, you know, magnetically powered, let's get to Col- from Colorado Springs to Denver in nine minutes, uh, train type Jetsons things one day. Uh, but what we have right in front of us right now is serious uh, needs for getting from, from A to B without being stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic. Prop 109 would um, bring in, it, it would allow the state to borrow up to $3.5 billion for 66 specific projects. So the libertarian groups pitch on prop 109 is we've got these projects picked out we'll tell you exactly where the money will go and it will only go to fund these highway projects prop 110 is completely different uh there is a lot of there are a lot of projects in prop 110 that we actually just don't know uh where the money would go and and you know for the proponents of prop 10 that's kind of part of their pitch is that the local governments and local transit agencies will be able to spend um, a slice of this money uh, however they want. And it wouldn't have to be um, buses. It wouldn't have to be trains. It could be bike trails. This is what they call multimodal transportation. And this is one of one aspect that we really dug into uh, in this piece that we have coming up soon at the Colorado Independent. Um, I'll go ahead and, and try not to bore you with the math. Uh, but uh, if Prop 110 passes, they hope that it would raise $767 million in the first year, 
40% of that would go directly to cities and counties. Those cities and counties would be able to use 40% of that $767 million, kind of however they wanted. And they could use uh, part of that for multimodal transportation, which could be anything from upgrading sidewalks to uh, creating a bus station um, or creating hiking or biking trails or, or, or bike lanes. Um, 45% of that $767 million would go straight to CDOT for highway programs. Um, and then the remaining 15% would get spread across the state specifically for multimodal projects. And that's what multimodal advocates, people who champion um, walking, biking, uh, basically forms of transportation that get people out of their cars. That's what they really like about this, that the 15%, which would be about $103 million in the first year, would go um, to local areas across the state to really, and it's really flexible, they can kind of do what they want with it. Now, critics of Prop 1 will, will call that mystery money. Uh, they'll say, hey, if, if you're coming to the voters and, and asking us to raise our taxes, our sales taxes, um, we want to know where that money's going to go. And it's a valid criticism because we don't know where it's going to go. And, and the proponents will say, well, um, that's why we like it. It's because the locals will be able to do with it what they want. And for the piece at the Colorado Independent, we talked to different transportation regions uh, around the state, um, metro and also rural, to kind of get a sense of, of what they need. And, and they are quite different. Well, in terms of the transportation challenges facing Colorado, are we looking really at an urban-rural divide? Because transportation looks very different in the Denver metro area than it does on the western slope. And when we talk about multimodal and bike pads and all of that, I mean, that's not a viable method of transportation for people who are living in in rural parts of Colorado. Um, Do you envision an urban-rural divide in terms of where voters are going to come down on this issue? Maybe. Um, Proposition 110's pitch, I think, to uh, the rural parts of the state is that uh, rural parts of Colorado need uh, transit upgrades just as much as as the metro parts. Um, You know, I spoke to somebody at the uh, Southwest Colorado Council of Governments who was kind of just giving me an overview of that area down there. We're talking about uh, La Plata County, uh, Durango. It's a, it's about a five-county area that's larger than Connecticut and only has 100,000 people. So transit in Southwest Colorado looks a heck of a lot different than transit does along the, along the Front Range, and each have completely different needs. Um, you're asked about the rural urban divide, there might be some rural transportation folks who might be concerned that um, if Prop 110 passes, will they really be able to get an equitable portion of that of that pie, of that money? Uh, if it's based on formulas about population, say, or ridership, then we could assume a lot of that money is just going to go to Denver. The folks pushing Prop 110 um, and people at CDOT have said, actually, the you know they've they've thought about this and they want to create a equitable um, allocation formula where rural parts of Colorado would not be left out and, and they would have uh, a stake in this and a say in this and and um, they wouldn't just. Uh, push the money um, based on population and ridership, but would look at a more, take maybe a more holistic approach to make sure that uh, the rural parts of Colorado who, who need this money for transportation aren't left out. 
We're speaking with Corey Hutchins of the Colorado Independent on The Indicator today. The Indicator is a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the award-winning reporters at the Colorado Independent. You can subscribe to the podcast at just search for Indicator and it's a weekly look at uh, the governor's race in Colorado, but also some of the other ballot issues and how that might actually impact the governor's race. And we'll get into that in just a sec, Corey. But in terms of the supporters of 110, I know it has kind of broad support from municipal uh, entities, um, from, I think, chambers of commerce and various different things. I mean, give us a sense of who is actually pushing this and, and why. Yeah, so if you if you turn on your your TV, uh, or if you're sitting in a in a in a in a bar with the television on in the background, you've probably seen the ad where Governor John Hickenlooper is talking about uh, the differences between Prop 109 and Prop 110. Hickenlooper is on his way out; he will be replaced uh, by voters next week, and um, he is for Proposition 110. Uh, he doesn't like Proposition 109 because uh, I believe there's there's no dedicated uh, funding source to, to pay back the bonds, and it would put the state uh, deeper into debt. Um, it is backed by, by, Prop 110 is backed by the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, and, and they've got their campaign going. The opposition to it is obviously the Libertarian uh, Independence Institute, which has their competing measure on the ballot, but also it has um, some, some high-profile opposition as well. One of, I, I think, uh, the most high-profile opponents of Prop 110 is Mayor John Southers. He used to be the—he's the mayor of Colorado Springs now. He was the Republican attorney general, Republican U.S. attorney, kind of seen— as an elder statesman um, in Colorado politics on the Republican side. And what's interesting about his opposition to it, I, I, I live in Colorado Springs, and um, I uh, moved here in 2014. And in 2015, the mayor um, had just gotten elected, uh, you know, in a conservative city, Colorado Springs or, or El Paso County anyway, um, pretty conservative area. He's the mayor there, and he decides to use all of his, a lot of his political capital after becoming mayor to push a sale, a local sales tax increase uh, to fix the potholes <laughs> primarily, but to fix uh, transportation in the springs, which at that time really was terrible. Like I remember being a newcomer there and thinking like, my gosh, these roads really, it's like a third world country sometimes driving on some of those roads in the springs. So the mayor, the Republican, it's a nonpartisan, uh, mayorship, but he's a conservative. Everybody knows that. Pushing a sales tax ran into some conservative opposition, but he actually uh, ran a successful campaign and was able to get that tax, the sales tax raised in Colorado Springs to pay for the roads. And I really think that um, that helped a lot. I mean, I can say as a motorist in the Springs that that uh, after that uh, ballot measure, local ballot measure passed, um, things got better when it came to transportation in that city. Now, uh, I wondered how the mayor would um, would come out on this uh, state proposal, and he's against it. Um, he's against it because number one, uh, you know, it's because places like his city have already raised taxes uh, of their own for transportation issues. Um, other cities around the state have done the same. So to layer another statewide tax on that, jack up the tax rate in some cities to as high as 10%. Uh, so that's, you know, going to be 
a pretty strong headwind for some, uh, you know, for for this proposal. I think, and in, in places that already have kind of higher taxes, um, there's also people that are opposing Prop 110, not so much from the conservative side, but almost coming at it from the left. A multimodal advocate named uh, Dom Nazi wrote a. a guest column, I think, the Boulder Daily Camera, where he was saying that, look, if you pass this this measure, um, you know, you're really only giving pocket change to multimodal. And he called it a kind of Faustian bargain, saying that we should really be focusing more philosophically and more broadly on narrowing roads across Colorado and not widening them. Because um, in, the, in the long run, uh, Building more roads, building more highways, widening roads across the state is just going to create more congestion, create more pollution, create more traffic deaths. And, you know, we should really be looking at it from the other way. There was another opponent who wrote something in the Colorado Sun. That's Gary Walkner, who's uh, with Save the Colorado and Save the, the Poodle, who also is not often thought of, certainly in the same uh, bucket, I suppose, as, as the Libertarians or as the Independence Institute. Now, for the record, Gary's also opposed to 109. But it was interesting, a quote from an article that Gary Walkner wrote for the Colorado Sun on this was then used by the proponents of 109 in one of their campaigns. And he, I think, had um, his argument was that this is just going to encourage even more growth, create even further traffic complications and encourage more of the same bad financial behaviour in the future. So it's interesting, a kind of a broad swath of uh, different politically aligned uh, opponents, maybe to 110. It is. And, 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 you know, those are those are folks that are paying really, really close attention to this. Right. And I don't think the average voter is. Uh, I do hope that the average voter before they fill out their ballot does do you know, do do um, do due diligence looking at, at these issues and researching them and hopefully going to the Colorado Independent and other uh, and other news sites to get their information before they vote um, just to kind of get a sense of what uh, some some people uh, who use public transit think I went down to the bus hub in, in downtown Colorado Springs the other day. Um, and I talked to a bus rider for, for about 10 minutes and got her, her name was uh, it's a 68-year-old, um, 58-year-old woman uh, named Debbie Cooper, worked at the Habitat for Humanity store in downtown Sp- Colorado Springs, doesn't have a car, told me that she thought it was cheaper to ride the bus because she doesn't have to pay car insurance, upkeep on a vehicle, pay for gas, and she pays about um, $31 for 31 rides and uses the bus twice a day. Uh, she has to take two of them, actually, to get from downtown Colorado Springs to where she lives about 10 miles away in Security Weidfeld, uh, which is a little south of Colorado Springs. And I asked her if she was aware that there were transportation measures on the ballot. And she said she was. She hadn't voted yet. Um, she had heard, you know, this or that about it. But she said she'd have to do more research um, before she voted. And I said, well, what do you think about the idea of, uh, of raising taxes for, for public transportation? And it was just a non-starter for her. You know, just just right off the bat. Um, and when I said, how come her response was, well, didn't we, you know, wasn't wasn't marijuana supposed to save all that? Uh, and I actually don't think that that is, um, you know, such a an, an out there. View. I think there are people in Colorado who just think that because we legalized marijuana, we're getting all this tax revenue and we can spend it on on everything, uh, including transportation. Um 
I'm surprised how often we get questions uh, to our Ask the Indie feature at the Colorado Independent about that. So totally remains to be seen what happens on Tuesday with what the, uh, what the average voter is going to think about both of these measures and um, whether we want to borrow money and put the state into debt or raise taxes to, to pay for transportation. Well, as we like to do on the indicator, let's take a look at the impact maybe on the governor's race, because, of course, the governor's race is maybe the top of the ticket for this. It's such a big election for Colorado because of the gubernatorial race. Has Walker Stapleton or Jared Polis take a position, taken a position on Prop 110 or 109, the transportation measures? Yes and no. Um Jared Polis, the Democrat running for governor, has not he, – he opposes Proposition 109 uh, because he says it puts the state uh, more into debt and there's no dedicated revenue source to pay for it. He says if we want to want to borrow money, we should um, – we should have the. We should know how we're going to pay for it. He said that in debates, uh, and Walker Stapleton, his Republican opponent, is he, he's uh, in support of Proposition 109, and he adamantly opposes Prop 110, Prop 110, um, because of the tax increase. And also, he has on the campaign trail uh, talked about how he does not like the idea of uh, money going towards multimodal. Um, and he makes a joke about, uh, you know, I, I actually heard him say this over Labor Day weekend at a. Uh, little campaign event he did in, in Parker, uh, Colorado, where he said something like, uh, you know, if we pass that measure, it's going to go to multimodal transportation, things like uh, solar, things like solar powered motorcycles. And he, and he told the crowd, have you ever seen a solar powered motorcycle? Um, let me know if you do. I'd love to hitch a ride on one in Douglas County, you know, and he gets an applause line. And then he says, especially at night, you know, it gets another applause line. Um, so he has uh, hammered Polis about not taking a position um, on, on Prop 110. Uh, Polis hasn't. Uh, I, I've watched the debates. I've I've seen them talking and, and trying to think of uh, w- what Polis has said about 110. I think he says something like, uh, "That's not how I would have done it," or something like that. But um, he he has not endorsed it and hasn't opposed it. He says, "I just haven't taken a position." And will some of these down ballot items, there are many statewide ballot measures, some relating to taxation like Prop 110, also Amendment 73, will that have an impact, do you think, on the governor's race or vice versa? Will the governor's race have an impact on some of these down ballot items? You know, I I think um, I think it it might have if they were really using them to kind of campaign on. Um, I get the sense that they don't, that the candidates don't particularly like uh, having to constantly answer the questions about these, about these ballot measures. And it seems like in, in every debate and every interview, um, they're constantly asked about them. And, and it, you know, uh, I, we were getting questions at the Colorado Independent through our Ask the Indie feature um, about where the candidates for governor stood on some of these. So it's quite possible that voters are looking to uh, the top of the ticket candidates for a guide on how to vote. And so um, if you go to the Colorado Independent, go to coloradoindependent.com, and, and we've got a story up there in our ballot measure section where I've rounded up uh, where the uh, candidates for governor stand on, on each measure. Um, They've basically they've not certainly not gone up and down the ballot and picked a position on all of them. That's for sure. We just have about five minutes left with Corey Hutchins of the Colorado Independent on the Indicator, which is a collaboration between 
the journalists at the Colorado Independent and KGNU Community Radio. We're five days away, Corey, from the actual election deadline. It's hard to say election day here in Colorado, given that the actual election season, when people have the ballots because of the mail-in, the early voting, you know, people are, are voting on so many other days, not just on Tuesday. And as we are five days away now, as we talk on Thursday, I know yesterday you published a, a piece at coloradoindependent.com on how many ballots have been returned and breaking that down. I mean, how, how are we doing in terms of early voting and who, who have gotten their ballots back? Sure. So um, as of yesterday, nearly a million voters had had already cast their ballots. There are 3.3 million active voters, meaning that 3.3 million voters across the state have gotten ballots in the mail. So uh, roughly a third of them have have already made up their minds and, and cast ballots. The Democrats and Republicans are basically neck and neck. The uh, Republicans uh, throughout the past week, ballots went out in the mail on October 15th. And since then, the Democrats had only um, beaten them one day uh, out of that. And it was only by a few hundred votes. Republicans had been keeping a lead of, of a, about a thousand or a couple thousand or even up to 4,000. Uh, but the Democrats really started to surge a couple days ago. Um, and people who track ballots in Colorado and have kind of looked at the trends in midterm elections, so looking back at 2014, are actually saying that, look, yeah, you, you know, that might be the headline that Republicans are in the lead, but actually more Democrats are voting um, now than they were in 2014. There's actually a lot more registered Democrats now than there were back then. And the unaffiliated uh, vote, we, uh, looking at uh, analysis, um, shows that they kind of lean Democratic. And there's more than 200 or close to 300,000, I think, unaffiliated voters who have voted. Now, the reason we know or have an idea, actually, of how these unaffiliated voters lean is because of a new law that that voters passed in 2016 that allowed unaffiliated voters for the first time to get involved in party primaries. So this was fascinating. In, In June, unaffiliated voters could decide whether they wanted to vote in the Republican primary or the Democratic primary. They could they got two ballots in the mail and they could only return one. And when they did, that became a public record. So for the first time in Colorado, uh, political operatives, pollsters, people who care about this stuff could call up the secretary of state and say, I want to know, give me the names and addresses of all the unaffiliated voters. uh, And I want to know who voted in the primaries and let me know which one chose a Democratic ballot, which one chose a Republican ballot. So you can bet that both campaigns have that information and have just been hammering those folks to get them out to vote. Um, And what we saw in the data was that year, I think uh, 270,000 unaffiliated voters voted in the primary and 63% chose a Democratic ballot. So if you look at that and you take a look at the unaffiliated number who voted now and uh, assume that, um, you know, quite a bit more than half uh, lean to the left, think that's making Democrats a little happy going into these last few days. Where are you going to be on election night? You know, I have been with uh, with the Republicans for like the past few years. And this year I, I got assigned to cover the Democratic uh, Party's uh, vic- victory party, they call them. Um, and it's funny that all candidates and, and campaigns before the election call their party the victory party. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. But I, I believe I'll be with the Democrats on, on Tuesday. 
Well, we'll be checking in with you throughout that evening, hopefully, Corey. But just in the last minute that we have, as we talk now on Thursday, there was big national news yesterday with the current Governor John Hickenlooper and some comments he made in New Hampshire about him possibly running for president in 2020. He walked back those comments uh, pretty quickly, though. But what's your sense of the future now for John Hickenlooper? He said he was running for president. Then a second later, he said, oh, I can't say (laughs) I I can't say that yet because there's all these legal ramifications about that. The guy said it in New Hampshire. Come on. We know what's going on there. He's formed and he's, you know, formed a committee. Uh, He's the governor of Colorado. What's he doing in Iowa? What's he doing in New Hampshire? He is thinking about running for president. He has been thinking about it for a while. He says he's he's going to maybe make a decision by February or March. I think that um, if you're a freelance reporter and you're trying to get on a potential a presidential campaign. Pick John Hickenlooper's because you're gonna have you're gonna be able to write um, three stories a day uh, on that guy because he's gonna say one thing and then a second later he's gonna say something else and a second later he's gonna say something else. Uh, that's John Hickenlooper for you. So is he running for president? Uh, you know, ask him and then two seconds later ask him again. Corey Hutchins writes for the Colorado Independent. You can catch his writing about the governor's race, about all of the ballot issues, including Prop 110, one of the transportation measures facing Colorado voters. It's all online at coloradoindependent.com. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. And you've been listening to The Indicator, which is a weekly collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the award-winning reporters at the Colorado Independent. You can subscribe to the podcast. Just search for Indicator. And I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU. KGNU.